Welcome to Zero Trust 30. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and this is the show that helps you make sense of the cybersecurity sensation that is Zero Trust. Today, we're going to be talking about Zero Trust perspectives from Latin America. And we are joined by Felipe Dominguez, who's a security researcher here at AppGate. Uh, Felipe has extensive experience in research, cybersecurity, software development, fraud prevention, and a focus on malware analysis. By vocation, Felipe is always on the forefront of new threats, uh, new threat developments, and by virtue, he has a vested interest in the cyber uh, cybersecurity landscape within Latin America. Felipe, did I get your name right? Are you there? Can we can we hear from you? Hey, George. Yes, my name is correct. Uh, okay. Thanks so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're looking forward to the conversation, and so. Uh, along with Felipe, we also have uh, Florencia Martin, uh, who is a regional sales director who oversees Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay. Uh, Florencia is an experienced information technology and cybersecurity sales director. She's got over 15 years of professional experience working with multinational IT companies, helping with sales planning, lead generation, channel management, um, and sales strategy development. And so, Florencia, if you wouldn't do this, uh, do the same here. If you just let me know that you're here, make sure that you're human, say hello to the audience. Hello. Thank you, Char, for inviting me. I'm very happy to join the, the podcast today with Felipe. And I am here. <laughs> there she is. Well, thank you both so much. It's, it's, I'm really looking forward to this. I think it's a good matchup where you've got Felipe really looking on the threat landscape side and then Florencia, you're day in and day out working with Latin American organizations on helping mature their security uh, postures um, and adoption of zero trust. So I think it's going to make for a really good conversation. But before we get into that, we'd like to have a little bit of fun. Uh, we start with a icebreaking game called What's Bugging You? And so it's a very straightforward game. I'm just going to ask the question of what's bugging you. And Florencia, why don't you kick us off? What's, what's bugging you right now? It could be personal, could be cybersecurity related, could be a mixture of both. Okay, I think that it's a mixture of, of both. And you know what's, what's really bugging me is the fact that in the market, some organization thinks that the Zero Trust is a product instead of a platform which should cater for their needs. Uh, it, it should be seen as a strategy built around the concept of authentic first and connect later. Yeah. And at the same time, I think that decreased risk and increased control should be a, a message that, that we need to, to, talk, to tell them. That, that's a great one. And we hear that a lot in terms of, you know, zero trust being confused in the marketplace. And I'm sure it's the same in Latin America, but you have so many vendors selling zero trust as a product that the buyers are understandably confused as to what it is. And so hopefully today we can shed some light on that and cut through some of the confusion. Before we do that, Felipe, what's bugging you, sir? What's bugging me is things have done. Uh, I think that goes along with what Florencia uh, just talked about. A lot of companies uh, try to implement zero trust and they just implement like just multi-factor authentication and yep. say they are using zero trust. Or even the famous, uh, we do backups, but they are on the same network. It's on a different server. Uh, health trust doesn't exist. You need to... If you want to be secure, you need to follow the best practice. Yeah. No, I think that's that's understandably 
uh, a good what's bugging you answer. And I think they kind of go hand in hand, right? It's a strategy. It's a mindset. It's also a change. It's a paradigm shift. It's something new. A lot of the time, you know, legacy solutions, doing things the old way can help you with zero trust, but you have to think a little bit differently and start looking at other technology controls to actually get you there. So that's a great kickoff. Um, okay, so before we get into the questions, quick overview of what we're going to be doing today. First, we're going to be looking at the state of the threat landscape in Latin America, and then also kind of what adoption of zero trust is starting to look like. Uh, and then we'll kind of go into some of these perceptions of zero trust, which I think we've already introduced here. Any objections that you generally hear and see from Latin American organizations um, and how mindsets around security have to shift in Latin America. So let's let's kick this off. And I think, uh, Felipe, if you could do the honors here, let's talk about the state of cybersecurity in Latin America. Give us a sense of the cybersecurity landscape and what, what are the biggest threats facing organizations today? Uh, yeah, I think the threat landscape in Latin America is pretty much the same uh, around the world. Uh, ransomware gangs are on a rampage. There's new attacks almost every day uh, on industries, uh, government agencies. Uh, recently, all the attacks are focused on the data. So uh, all ransomware attacks are now data steal attacks. They are following a double extortion method. So instead of just encrypting the data, they will steal your data. And even if you have a very robust uh, backup system, they will threaten to publish your data. So you need to be safe. The main difference on the scenario in Latin America is the huge presence of the banking sector. Uh, if you take Brazil uh, as an example, we, we had a very early adoption of internet banking. Uh, on the early 2000s, we already had almost 100 banks offering uh, some kind of service through internet banking. And the cybersecurity scenario followed on that. We started on having lots of attacks, uh, trying to steal money, uh, either from directly the banks and the users, and even nowadays, uh, in Latin America, we had some very dangerous threats related to banks. Uh, so we have threats empowering uh, using remote access trojans, rootkit techniques. It's, it's very, very advanced stuff. Uh, so when it comes to cybersecurity, the banks are kind of leading the way uh, when it comes to that. They are investing heavily uh, on the technology, and that means in, uh, artificial intelligence, analytics engines, uh, engines, antiviruses solution, almost everything. And there's also the, the legislation uh, stuff. Uh, in Latin America, we also are following the GDPR. Uh, we know on the US, you have uh, another, a similar law and countries in Latin America are creating their own. In Brazil, we have LGPD. Uh, so every company that initially didn't care too much about their data are now ha having, to, having to focus on that. They, they need to be protected. They handle sensitive data. They need to, to take care of it. Yeah. Is there anything you want to add to that, Florencia? Do you see that when you're talking to customers that those are the common challenges that they're facing? Yes, I think that the cybersecurity industry is uh, becoming more and more competitive every day. Um, the post-pandemic uh, market has changed 
has definitely changed. Uh, on the one hand, you have companies that need to change how they work, how they connect with internally and externally, and how they do business, for example, on, on the digital world. And on the other hand, you have cyber criminals that also adapted to this reality. And, and why do I say this? Because uh, we continue on see, we continue seeing an increase on phishing attacks in customer, which impacts on fraud numbers or events in organizations. Uh, the increased use of digital channels and card transaction in a non-present environment remains a constant since the start of the pandemic, and it may it accelerate the digital transformation that is a good sign for us in Latin America market. Yeah, I mean, I think there's obviously a lot of similarities with what organizations here in North America and, 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 and Europe um, and all over the world are facing. And I think there's a risk part of the conversation, right? Increased threat landscapes, but then also there's complexity. You take heightened threats, more persistent threats, you mix that with digital transformation initiatives, a pandemic that has caused you to think about the banking institutions, right? I mean, brick and mortar is, is probably a thing of the past and most people are now doing mobile banking. So digital transformation, threat landscape, um, and then legacy solutions, right? Which you touched on before, Felipe, when you start thinking about, oh, I'm doing zero trust because I'm doing backups and old ways of thinking. I'm getting to a question here, I promise. It's around the complexity side of the equation. And I think Florencia, having conversations day in and day out with organizations, does that come up a lot in terms of, you know, it's not necessarily that we can't do it. It's a matter of, there are so many things on our plates, competing priorities, and this sense of overwhelming paralysis to, to, to take action. Is that, is that a fair way to assess it? Yes. Uh, some companies uh, are talking about zero trust strategies or, or maybe initiatives and try to be early adopters, of, but with traditional solutions. So they continue adding feature, for example, on firewalls or maybe uh, another solution that they already have. But uh, I think that this increased the op operation because you need people that uh, need to know more about three vendors instead of one, maybe. And they understand the zero trust strategy, but maybe consider it as a desirable project, something that they cannot reach as an organization because they think that is a complex uh, product or, or, or initiative. And then you have other group that uh, see the, 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 the strategy as something doable, something to be implemented in a short time. But uh, I think that Forgive a, a, a sum up. We, last year, we saw an increase on zero trust requir requirements from customer, and our solution grew more than two hundred percent. So this indicate that customers are looking for uh, that kind of solutions, and they can do it. That is something that I want to, to repeat because it's not an impossible thing to, to do things easily and with a software. That is important too because with hardware you need to uh, 
and manage it. You need to update it, and you need to change maybe five, seven years. Uh, and so it's it's a it's more complex, I think. Yeah, now that makes a lot of sense, and I think you know one of the other levels of complexity there is I think Felipe, you touched on it, is um, laws and regulations that are coming forward, which are good. And so I think you know one question I have is. Are there certain countries that are kind of on the cutting edge of being more of a cybersecurity leader in the region? Like, do they stick out to you as, you know, the the uh, the standard of, of, of which all a country should be following? Yes, in Latin, in Latin the, the adoption of zero trust is very, very slow, like we saw in, in, in other uh, technology, for example, in cloud adoption, it was slow, but the, the two, two years ago, it, it started to be uh, better. But uh, I think that uh, it started to be more demand uh, in the second half of 2021, because we saw globally many attacks, uh, colonial solar winds, some Colombian financial institutions, and the adoption of cloud during the during uh, after the pandemic, because we continue uh, adopting cloud. Finally, I think that it's a it's a good uh, it's a good thing for for different countries, but I think that Colombia, Mexico, Brazil are leading the, the adoption of zero trust. And then you have industries. Uh, Felipe told about the banks and finance companies. Are, they, they are an example that many other sectors are following, but zero trust is being seen also in hotel, hospitals, government and service companies, unlike other technologies. Yeah, Felipe, would you would you echo that? Would you agree? One hundred percent. When it comes to the countries, I would also cite uh, Chile and Uruguay, but the the adoption of zero stress is kind of slow, but it's being noticed by the industries. the The problem is the amount of misinformation. Everyone wants an out of the box solution. Wants to install a software, uh, it's just double click and. An executable and yeah I'm safe and it needs a change on the mindset so when when did your mindset change Felipe because you're obviously a zero trust a believer right you, you believe in the mindset you believe in, in, in what it can do um, do you recall a time where the light bulb went off and you said aha this is this is the right way to be thinking about it I think uh, when you start to analyze the attacks more closely uh, you see that most of them are very simple. They invade a exposed server and they start to spread through the network. So yep. you can see exactly where Zero Trust would stop an attacker or detect it or uh, at least decrease the damage. Uh, most of the attacks, the, it's, it's, it's very simple. They exploit the vulnerability. It's the same exploit they are using or they use leaked credentials. So zero trust would help all of that. So when you see an attack and you see that zero trust uh, would be important on preventing and uh, containing it, it's it, it's it's very clear. It's it's even hard to say uh, to to see a time where zero trust didn't make sense. Once yeah. you know the methodology and the attacks, it's it's obvious. Yeah. Well, I think you just summarized the uh, the title of the the John King Devog. Forrester white paper of no more chewy centers, right? 
that lateral movement, that lateral spread of either, you know, a, 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 a person who has obtained credentials or malware that's spreading within an organization. So let's 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 talk a little bit about disruption and adoption then. And, and Florencio, we'll start with you. You, you kind of hinted to this a little bit when you talk about the adoption curve and it's starting to pick up. What are the biggest objections or perceived barriers that organizations have in front of them that they need to either think about differently or scrap altogether and get out of the way in order to adopt a zero trust mindset? Well, there are many barriers. Uh, I think that Zero Trust is an ecosystem with both technology and non-technology prices. For that reason, we need to talk about software-defined perimeter and software-defined people. That is a concept that we try to uh, talk with customers. But I think that the first barrier is the, there are companies that continue adopting traditional solutions, as I said because they, is, they find, find it an uh, easy way to do things, to comply. For example, we, we worked with, in a project with a customer that wants to comply with some regulations, and he was looking for a, a multi-factor authenticator, a VPN provider, and a solution for access control. And we show, we, we demonstrate that he will need three solutions instead of one with upgrade SDP. And he realized that it will cover all their, their needs. He, he will not need additional solution and the, the people who manage the solution will be happier with one instead of three. So I think that they saw is an easy way what, uh, on what they know over, over what they don't, that is zero trust. And the second barrier, I think that is uh, that they think that zero trust is an expensive solution but they don't see, or they, they need to understand that CEO Trust will simplify their network, accelerating their business, and reducing the, the surface attack. Well, I mean, change is hard, right? I mean, any change is hard. And so it's not necessarily that zero trust is difficult and expensive. It's getting the people, the process, and the technology aligned around it. And I, I'm sure you see this a lot, Florencia, is, is um, it's got to come from the top, right? It's got to be a, a mandate from the CISO, from the CIO. The board of directors have to be involved. It's not just a, a single security problem. It involves the IT, the networking team. And it does. It comes across as, oh, this is going to be really difficult. But and this kind of leads into my next question because Felipe, we talked about this before the podcast is that level of disruption, right? Do you want to have disruption and change management for the better, i.e. security transformation? Or do you want to have the disruption of an attack that could be, you know, completely paralyzing? I don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, Felipe. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, especially when you consider a couple years ago, uh, most of organizations just don't believe they would be attacked. Uh, so there's there's no reason to invest too much on that. Uh, but 
recently we have we are seeing too much too many attacks. Uh, so almost every day there are big companies, small companies, and even those small companies are now realizing that the damage that the, they will suffer in case of a cyber attack would be much more expensive than investing on a cybersecurity solution. Uh, and the media is doing an amazing job on covering those attacks, uh, especially because they are they are uh, quoting the reasons for that attack. So it's a leaked credential, it's an old VPN software, uh, it's an unpatched server. It's it's really easy to see uh, where they are failing and what actions they need to take. Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's interesting when you see a lot of these similar attacks. All roads lead back to access control, right? Um, and legacy tools like VPNs. So before we get into a bit of a fun part here where we do a little rapid fire question things, I do just want to ask either of you, you know, if you're talking to an organization that is adopting zero trust, what, what parting thoughts, wisdom, advice would you give an organization? Florencia, would you kick us off? Uh, I will tell them that zero trust model makes sense to everyone and to everything. I, uh, I will add that uh, the region not only need customer with the zero trust mindset, but it also need partners with the necessary knowledge to throughout the process of finding the right model of zero trust for each one. I think that uh, this is an, an important issue that they have to, to review. I think that's that's really good advice. I mean, especially, I mean, I know here in the United States, the the skill the skill gap, right? Getting yes. really qualified security individuals, and the, the reality is, a lot of organizations. I'm sure they would love to adopt zero trust, but they're day in and day out trying to continue to protect the organization, and their plates are full. So, what I heard from you, Florencia, is lean into those partners who have done this before, who understand zero trust and can help guide your hand and make it a journey. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Start somewhere small, gain some momentum and then scale into it. Felipe, how about you, sir? Yeah, I, I think the main thing I would advise is to start thinking as the attacker. Uh, so isolate, if you're gonna start somewhere, uh, start with the most sensitive servers. Uh, if you have a database that handles sensitive data, uh, start on thinking how can you protect that, uh, if you can isolate that on a different network, uh, what kind of software are you using, uh, what kind of services are exposed and start there, uh, start on tracing your perimeters and isolating like that. Because if you start to think on, uh, if you start to think as an attacker, uh, you'll see if I compromise the server, I can reach those. So I'm going to cut all the connections here and here and here, and only then you'll be able to detect and reduce the damage of a potential uh, cyber attack. That was really, really awesome stuff. Really good sage advice from both of you. Let's have some fun. And I'm already looking at this first question and it is fun. So what we're going to do here, it's called a rapid fire question round. Uh, we're going to ask three questions and both of you have to answer um, as fast as you possibly can. Florencia, we'll start with you and then okay. Felipe, you can, you can go next. Okay, question number one. If aliens landed on Earth tomorrow and offered to take you home with them, would you go? Yes, of course. <laughs> I really want to know why. Uh, because I am curious about aliens 
and I think that it, it would be funny to know another culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, 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 there's a pretty big risk analysis to be put there because the question is very open-ended, right? We don't know if these are friendly aliens. Friendly aliens, oh, of yeah. course. <laughs> we don't know what you're walking into, but I love it. I love it. Take the leap of faith. All right, Felipe, how about you? Are you going with Flancia? Yeah, if I believe I can make contact with Earth, I will definitely <laughs> go. Uh, but if not, I think I would be afraid to be treated as a pet. So I wouldn't. <laughs> but fair enough. Fair enough. So Florencia's all in. She's curious. She's going. But Felipe's Felipe's going to ask some questions before he commits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, who would you play in a movie, Florencia? Any actresses or actors or? Um, I don't. I I am not a fan of movies, but I think. I would be Penelope Cruz. That's a good one. I could see it. <laughs> How about you, Felipe? Uh, that's a that's a hard one. Uh, I think maybe Remy Malik. He's he's good on interpreting strange people, and I'm also a fan of Mr. Robot. So I know he knows how to act like a cybersecurity analyst. I've been I've been meaning to watch Mr. Robot. I loved him in the new James Bond movie as well. He did a really good job. And you're right. He's got a he's got a knack for playing very interesting people. All right. What would your talent be if you were Miss or Mr. World? I'm not sure I know what Miss or Mr. World is, but let's go for it. Florence, what would your talent be? My talent is that I have a good memory. That's good. I there can remember go. things. <laughs> like like photographic memory? Yes, numbers, songs, um, everything. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. What did I say 15 minutes into the podcast exactly? I know. I'm, no. I'm joking. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> All right. Felipe, what about you? <laughs> what would your talent be? Yeah, that, that, that's one is it's even harder. Uh I think uh, as a good Brazilian, my best talent would be very good at learning, uh, improvising. Uh, we are a very creative folk. So I guess that would be my best talent, but I don't think that would give me the prize. <laughs> uh, I thought where you were going with that is it was going to all roads lead to football, but I guess I was wrong. As a, cause you said, as a, real, as a Brazilian, I was like... Yeah. On that aspect, I'm a terrible Brazilian. I'm very bad at sports. <laughs> oh, well. All right. Well, hey, listen, both of you, thank you so much for joining us today. And for the audience, thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find show notes and other episodes at appgate.com forward slash podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is a production of AppGate. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests and may not represent the views of their organization. I'm your host, George Wilkes, and you've been listening to Zero Trust 30. And that's a wrap. See, you guys were nervous for what? You did amazing. That was awesome. I think it was really, really well done.